Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets, ideas change the world. And we certainly have a changing world. Over the last 18 months, we've experienced um, incredible societal, environmental, political change. And it's taken a toll on many people in many different ways. Uh, in, in a lot of ways though, the leaders who were prepared for this, who had a mindset for this, have oddly prospered and not necessarily in a, in a direct way that you might immediately recognize. Well, right before the pandemic happened, I was uh, in a group of leading executives in the risk resilience security industry in a great conversation physical event in Palm Beach, Florida. And I had been looking for uh, a subject matter expert who could intersect with what we felt at the time was a challenge of the leadership community within that industry. And the challenge was personal resilience. You people out there live in a dark world and you live it every single day. So the question on the table was, if that was the brutal truth of your reality, what do you do about it? And we invited uh, a team, a kind, of, kind of a newly minted team at the time, uh, even though their thought processes and practices and studies and research had been going on for years, but a newly minted team led by uh, one of the top 30 IO psychologists in the world and featured in Forbes and uh, most recently in, uh, in TED Talks. And he worked with our leaders to explore the reality, the brutal truth of their existence and how to live within it. So I want to welcome back Dr. Daniel Halleck and Dr. Rob McKenna, the founder and CEO of Wild. Great having you back. Thank you, Ron. That is that is that is quite an introduction. I mean, just the just the precursor part. Just make as always, you're causing me to you're putting a great conversation in the middle of my brain right now. So well, you know, it it's funny. That could be the greatest compliment you could ever give me because I love, as you know, I'm passionate about learning and learning takes place in the, in the midst of change. And so you, you, you lit me up that day in Palm beach so long ago. And of course you then launch your wild leadership series on Friday and you don't know this, but I just interviewed a risk leader um, who is with an amazing organization and he makes your Friday free sessions in leadership development. Uh, by the way, that takes place 10 a.m. most Fridays, and it's easy to get to through wildleaders.org. But I, I'm telling you, he, in the middle of our conversation, he's going, I need this. I need this to put it in context, the big why of why I do things. And so let's explore, if you don't mind, let's explore quit in, in, in a reader's digest way, kind of what you experienced back in, you know, uh, February, March of 2020 in Palm Beach and how that experience maybe informed and infused your practice over the last 18 months and what you've discovered 
about the why of leaders during that time. Does that sound fair? Yeah. So let, let's start with the baseline. There you are. There you are, Rob. <laughs> you're kind of going, I don't even know what this great conversation is. And suddenly you're in a panel discussion with chief security officers. Tell me about that experience. Well, uh, I think for Daniel may have felt better prepared than I did. I don't know. It was, it was interesting. Um, just, I, I, I'm a, um, I'm such a, a sucker for great context. Um, and so, and new context. So I, I kind of, I make something my family. Like if I go visit a university, I buy, I go to the bookstore and buy a shirt. Um, and so in many ways, you know, I don't expect myself to understand the, the physical security space. And to be perfectly frank, I would not have intentionally before that divided up the physical security space from the, uh, the network and digital security space. And I know that they are now I know a lot more about the connection. I have lots of friends who work in those industries, but they're, they're talking, they're using acronyms I don't use every day. So it was, uh, I think the first thing was resonating deeply with the community because because I think Daniel and I always resonate with human beings, no matter what the context is. But also um, the, the specific nature of the experiences that many of them have shared or have, have had. And, and thinking about, I think one of the things that resonated deeply about our concept of whole, even I'm, I'm kind of going at a high level that I hadn't thought about before, was these are folks like military folks is one of the, one of the reasons that I, I think I relate well to even people, scientists who study people in the military who understand the nature of risk at a whole other level that most of us don't have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So the deepest questions of who we are and why we're here are something you kind of have to ask <laughs> at least once. Maybe once you start to do the work, you're like, it's my job. But at least once you ask that question. So I think it just was an amazing introduction. I think it also, Ron, to be honest, it's you gather people like I would gather. So it felt like home in terms of the kinds of people, because these were people who were interested in the great conversation. So I think that was, was amazing to see in the level of vulnerability that they showed from the stage. I mean, I, I got off a plane and we're up there talking about what's your whole story? What does that have to do with leader development? What does it have to do with it in this industry? So that's just the first thing that came to mind for me, I, Dr. Halleck, like, what was it like for you? I was curious yeah i mean it's it's fascinating what you said that he, that shared human experience on the one hand there are things that we see with every leader or every group of leaders because leaders are people and yet there are things that were unique and maybe heightened or accentuated so for example this whole conversation on vulnerability and transparency that's happening today which has a lot of merits and and sometimes can be um, those who may, those who are not leading or who have not led can easily talk about that as something they want, but they haven't necessarily been in the position to understand the actual risk that comes with it. So the conversation, for example, around vulnerability and transparency from some of the leaders was, yes, it was vulnerable and transparent, but it was also a bit more real because the risks literally to your point, Rob, were higher. And so when we talk about this tension of being a leader who has conviction and strength and clarity, but also care and connection and compassion and being able to do those two together, it's more difficult, I think, for them and maybe more important because that default of tough and focused is 
what you almost need to perform the function of your job, but that authenticity, transparency, vulnerability, connection is almost what's necessary to be sustainable in that role or to be, to be leading, particularly for those who found their way into private industry. And so I, I think that it, it's not that that was unique, but it became on, I think we saw it on more full display that the need for humanity amidst getting stuff done is real for leaders in the risk, resilience, and security industry. And I think the one thing that stood out to me, I wrote it down at the time I, I, as I was trying to figure out what was the insecurity of the security leader because these are some of the most competent, effective, willing to go into any situation leaders. And yet they, I heard this common struggle with being seen as having a seat at the table or being part of the, 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 the business or having credibility in whatever context. And it just became really clear that the need for community to surround each other is important for those leaders to be secure as security leaders as they bring that toughness and also that tenderness at the same time. So yeah, it was just a rich yeah. conversation. And Ron, something I had not told you before I'm sitting next to, so, you know, like we hope we do for you is just try, being introduced to a bunch of other new family members. It was just like, you know, and I'm sitting there out in the audience at one point sitting next to a, a guy, you know, well, I'm kind of in awe of him. He described himself his, his life, like a Netflix series. So I'm, you know, like I'm sitting there, and he, he pulls up this app because all this, all the security leaders that we know will laugh now at us that we don't know what this stuff is, but, um, but all the people out there, I think there's relevance to the rest of our life. He pulls up this app on his iPad and it shows this global map of all the sites that he's responsible for. And it shows it's a risk assessment on every one of those sites with every bit of data, every bit of news that's coming out, every one of those sites. And now, now if you, if you know this world, well, just sit there in my shoes. I'm sitting there going like, okay that's the reality like he's watching what's happening in turkey right now you know what i mean it's just on his screen and he's responsible for the team that's on the ground there that's gonna have to respond if something happens and he can see hot spots all over the world and i and i just that that's something i haven't told you about where i'm sitting there i'm just like because what i thought is there there is relevance i love it that th that conversation started there because there's relevance to every one of our lives in understanding the, that extreme nature of that because we're all dealing with it at a personal level, we talk about that all the time with you, Ron. It's um, it's it's this isn't about security leaders or not. It's about as it was an amazing community of people doing something that has a that has platform relevance into our lives and our families. So um, yeah. Well, I I I, I thank you both. What? Uh, let me just try to summarize to hear, uh, so I'm hearing correctly. What you were struck by is like many leaders, they're struggling with their identity. I'm using different words. They're struggling with their identity. That is confidence, clarity, conviction, compassion. They have those things, but they haven't necessarily integrated them. Think of it Think, think of whole leadership as a process, right? And 
they, um, uh, let me tell you where I'm going. It's kind of tricky. I'm doing, you can tell this is unscripted. I'm having a, a meeting the other day with uh, somebody in the midst of the data explosion for the risk resilience security industry. And he goes back in the day, we used to do investigations with post-it notes, phone calls, boots on the ground. In today's world, back to that digital map you just described, Rob, in, in the digital world, sensors are throwing off data every day in the public and private domains and inside the company every day. You know, suddenly, suddenly I can get a report on everybody in the air, all my employees in the air. So if there's an earthquake or an, some kind of situation, I know where everyone is in the air. I know where everyone is in the building. The, the technology is there to do that. So now, now these guys who grew up doing post-it notes, right? And phone calls are dealing with a data deluge. Okay, so think about the complexity of that. Think about the complexity. And I was thinking of you guys the other day, the same way. You, you somehow have figured out that there's more to leadership than the next seminar or the next Simon Sinek, you know, 30 minute TED talk or a book. You're, you're taking a person's worldview and trying to help them interpret it because many of us don't do that, right? We, we, there's a why in us, but it hasn't necessarily been codified. You're the second thing you're, you're taking their personal context. I just assumed a new leadership position in XYZ company or I just had a family tragedy. You're, you're taking the third thing, which is the science, the psychological science of leadership. So good research, but very complex for the common man. And then finally, the context of our community, whether you call that an organization, a country or a world. And, and, and so that's pretty complex. Mm -hmm. How, how, do you guide me into that complex world? How do you make it accessible, actionable, approachable? How do you do that? And what have you learned since Palm Beach in taking leaders like that through that? Can I, uh, Daniel, can I address something? And then I want you to tell them how. <laughs> like, because it's so simple. Um, but it is quite simple in terms of our approach. One thing that Ron, that you, when you mentioned that is I, it, it occurred to me, and we talked about this quite a while ago, I think, is that what I think I saw them struggling with is the thing is when you mentioned identity, the, fun, the thing that actually is, is front of mind is their own security. And, um, and because what we saw was, and this is what, what Daniel and I, and you talk about our why is like the leaders are being burned up all the time. It's just, it is overwhelming. And there's very few places where they can actually be real about that, that, that challenge because they've got to be, have fortitude and strength and courage and, and integrity and standing. And, and, but the reality is when they tell the real story, because they are human beings, flesh and blood, that the questions that you just said that at the next level that so many people don't think about is so what could psychology what would basic psychology tell us about what it means to be more secure and and then it's a mixture of variables that includes identity right because as another leader said to us he said you guys are doing deep-seated leader preparation and we're like yeah because the deeper we can seat them in something the more 
the more fortitude they'll have to be able to sit there when it gets horrible <laughs> or when it's great. You know what I mean? Through those storms um, or those, those great days. So that's where those combination of things that we've taken that psychology and are hoping to provide an accessible pathway based on what the thousands of other people who have contributed to that research base and what we could do. That might take Daniel. So the how is interesting. Well, and I just add to that, that fortitude is fascinating too, because to, to carry on that analogy of the, the post-it notes and the phone calls and now today's sensors, what you just described, I mean, what we, I, I think, again, it's heightened for, for this industry, but I've had countless conversations with leaders who have told me that the last 18 months, so basically since we were, I mean, I remember sitting in those rows with people with those maps who were watching what was happening with COVID and they were, the jury was out of whether this was going to be something worth paying attention to or not. So they were the leading indicator for me. That's right. Know? And it was fascinating is I, I think of the of leaders today, just take the common leader, pick your industry. I've had leaders tell me that is, I had a leader recently, he said he's been running his business for 35 years. And of all the, he said, you can imagine I've gone through ups and downs. And he said, the last 18 months have been the most difficult he's led in because of the tensions, the polarities, and, and maybe also the visible data that's coming from those sensors. So I might not personally have sensors for, for activity on hotspots, but I do know from social media, I do know from complaints and I can't make everybody happy. If I make a decision about an event, for example, coming up, what I'm going to do or not do. Um, so I, I think we're seeing that, seeing that everywhere and that complexity, the world is always complex, but now my own personal complexity is meeting that complexity and others in very visible ways. I think that's what we, we've been seeing. So the how, if we were to get there, and you noted it's beyond just here's the three simple steps to success. It's not a formula. We've, we've found in our finding that a big part of it is in the process of asking questions. And so if we can be a partner with a leader in asking questions of them or with them, because we might not have the answer, often we don't. But if we can partner with them to ask the right questions or the better questions of themselves and others, then they can start to move from should-ofs and ought-tos to invitations and possibilities. And that's where it becomes interesting because I, I, I think today, the leaders who we've seen be resilient or adaptive if you want to use those interchangeably over the last 18 months, are those who even in the face of challenge, whether that be the challenge of how do you run a restaurant when it's being mandated that it's shut down to the challenge of multiple, I mean, here it's your example, Rob, what's happening in, in, in different parts of the world is who can see potential you might think of potential as, an, as a synonym for hope. So who can see multiple possible pathways and be able to be dynamic and change, but also give people hope for what could be. And that has, I think, a direct implication into, into the purpose. And part of that comes through that question, that invitation to questions instead of a declaration 
a mandate of pithy one size statements that might have fit a certain time and place, but those rules are out the window today. That is so powerful. Um, if I'm a leader in any sphere of life, if you're a sales leader, an ops leader, a finance leader, this, um, this process of inquiry, this active listening uh, allows you to do, to find your way to trust, find your way to data, which brings clarity at a personal and team and corporate level, finding your way, that process, if you teach that process itself, then you will be able to possibly connect dots that will lead you to be more personally and corporately adaptive. That's what I'm hearing. And, and that's so powerful. And, and you said it in such a, a beautiful way. There are people out there who are very good at that and other people who just think it's a tool. So you're combining that inquiry with compassion and empathy and understanding that there's something bigger here on the stage than just solving a problem. You're building a platform of inquiry. It's pretty interesting. And, and, and I, as I've watched you in your wild leader forums, you do, you teach them how to ask the right questions. Let me give you an example of that too, uh, a recent example that has been fun. So, you know, we have this executive fellows program. So it's a graduate level experience for people who aren't going to go back to school. And one of the things Rob and I did is we thought, okay, we've been around a lot of higher ed. What did we, what do we love about higher ed? Because people are trying to transform and disrupt it. And certainly that's happening. But we thought, what do we love about higher ed that we want to keep? And what, what do we get rid of? So the topic of grading came up and we thought, okay, do we just jettison grades because it's a feels evaluative and we, no one likes it. And let's be honest, professors don't like grades either. Who likes grading? You've, you've, you've done it, Ron. You've, you've been involved in universities as a professor. You, no one likes to grade. Ugh, so we thought, and no one likes to get graded. So do we just get rid of it? So we thought, okay, well, what, what, what is actually a value there? And we thought of the word assessment and because assessments are a core part of what we do, it's, it's a bit of a misnomer. We often think of an assessment as a test. So do I pass or fail? And that's what we think of every learning opportunity. And so we said, okay, let's have people do evaluations at the end of every term in this program, but let's make it a self-evaluation, a self-assessment where we're going to give them a rubric to assess their inputs into the program and then give them an opportunity in a group to discuss the reasons for why and share that with peers. And there, there is value in an in, in, in absolute gradients. I mean, again, if you're the security leader and a situation doesn't go well, like you, there's kind of a minimum bar of what it needs to be, right? Or somebody could die. So, so, that, so it's real, evaluation matters. And yet what we're, what we're stressing and hoping and inviting people into it, I think we're seeing now as they've been with us over, over months, is that they are shifting the perspective from evaluation as a 
Um, let me pull out the measuring stick and see if you are able to, if you're tall enough to go on the ride. And instead saying, let's provide an opportunity for you to, to be a leader who is constantly engaging in self-inquiry, to be able to pause and say, who am I, where am I, what am I doing? How do I, am I going the right direction or not? And so hopefully assessment becomes that lifestyle, that, 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 that way that you are constantly engaging in the questions versus a summative evaluation of your worth, um, which is a shift. And that, beca- that, that makes the, the, the grading process even meaningful where I want leaders to, to, to become, we talk about intention a lot. We want leaders who are paying attention so they can move with intention. And that's, that's an example of that shift, even in a formal setting. So that leads me to the big question. Uh, and I so appreciate that, um, Daniel. I, I, I so appreciate that because at some point, you know, I'm a corporate strategist, right? My, my job is to somehow find a way for that company to become incredibly valuable. And by going through this process, you start expanding your definition of what that means, right? And that's where the whole comes in. And it's possible impact my opening statement when I introduced the great conversation. We can influence our marketplace. We can, if we get this leadership platform right, we can increase the capacity of our leadership culture individually and corporately. We can get alignment toward our mission, vision, and purpose. We can start seeing results in our measurements. But at the end of the day, we're trying to also at the same time change our world. You're, if you get the platform right, you're changing people's lives so they can adapt under any circumstance. And I find that just fascinating. But let me ask you a question. And it's one many leaders ask themselves about their teams. In fact, it it might be the number one question for CEOs. And that is, how do I get my people to care about themselves? How do I get people to care about themselves where they actually want to measure themselves over time, both personally, professionally, and corporately? How do I get them to care? Okay. So the first thing is, well, uh, by the way, for my technical team, do not erase that pause that we just had. Don't close the gap on that pause because what you're hearing about to hear from Dr. Halleck and Dr. McKenna is they don't answer quickly. They think about their answers. And if you're watching their faces, which you won't be because this is an audio podcast. Yeah, that. <laughs> So it's a big question. And I realize that it's not going to be answered in 30 seconds, but let's take a shot. Rob, I'll let you say this, but let me, let me just, let me just prime that to say that question. How do I get whatever you're going to say, Rob, Ron, I think you nailed the question that these leaders are asking. Like that is the internal question, whether they, whether they say it out loud or not, that is like the, that is the, how do I get question is ubiquitous. So I think you nailed the, the question that's being asked. In fact, you should put that on your website. How do I get my people to care? And, oh. and, and even a better question, how do I get myself to care? We, I mean, 
we have a get them to pandemic that's been going on for decades. So um, it's a it's a problem. It's language that is, is so many worldview assumptions behind it, first of all. Um, and something I'm going to I want to come right back to this. Let me say this very quickly. When we were talking about deep seated leader preparation. And it has relevance to your question, Ron, is how do I get people to care? Is that the process of, of building fortitude is as much, if not more, a process of excavation than it is of elevation. Ooh, ooh. And I think one of the, um, and, and the, the, the problem with our world is that everything that we see is either an attempt to elevate without any excavation, without any foundation, or it's, it's shallow excavation in sand versus solid dirt. So you start to dig in things that are just popular a little bit. And it's the, you know, how when you, you know, when you were a kid and you started to dig a hole in the beach and just the sand keeps coming in, that's what happens. And so being thoughtful about where you're digging matters. And then once we get past that, and, and the problem with excavation is it's harder also, but it's, it's more, but it's longer lasting. So it's a long haul proposition. And then the question, because that's why excavation is like, oh, you start to dig things up and like, oh, I didn't know that was there. I don't know if I want to deal with that. Like I hit a rock. I have to go, I got to take the time to go around that rock now. Um, I hit, I hit gravel and that's hard to dig through, right? It was easy to dig through the first layer of dirt. Now I've hit something a little deeper. But it's absolutely necessary if you're going to build. I mean, there's a. I watch a show that's an outdoor show where this woman built a pit house, and it's like pit houses have all these benefits, you, but it takes a long time to get to build a pit house where so it's in the ground. And I, I just was thinking about. So then the question is, okay, Rob, I get that that there's some digging to do. Where do I dig? And so this is where Daniel and I, what the entire process and system we put in place is to make that digging process to tell people, so not only where to dig but also with shovels to pick up because you're looking for, you're looking for specific things. So it's like, okay, Ron's trying to more deep. So let's say some leader in the security industry is wanting to become develop more fortitude. And it's like, okay, here's your competent shovel. Let's start digging there. What am I good at? Uh Oh, not a lot of things. Or I didn't realize I didn't know what I was good at. Oh, there's a blind spot. You know what I mean? Like I'm not good at that thing and it's causing a lot of damage to people. Where am I going and why? Like, why am I even digging here in the first place? Let's dig over there for just a second. Let's figure out, um, how do I figure out? I've learned a lot from the past. I got to do some digging around that, figure out what's there. I got to figure out what motivates me. Let me figure that out. And all the things that you know that we're about. Like, how do I, how do I develop other people? How do I even see other people more effectively? Let's do some digging there. Oh, I realize I haven't, but I could. Because as I dig a little bit deeper, I do the work, I start to get there and suddenly I'm seated in something that is far deeper than anything I ever possibly imagined before. Back to your question. That's my roundabout way. I think it has to start with a leader who stops thinking about how do I get them to and start doing it themselves. So what if, you don't, if we don't, if it doesn't start with, with that leader modeling it for themselves, like the other plague in learning and development and the whole culture around that and all corporations who do this work is the get them to, but it's also leaders who use budgets to buy leader development. You don't buy leader development, you excavate it. Like you, you give people a way to see themselves. And if it doesn't, this is why Daniel, I say we barely deal with any organization where the most senior leader isn't excavating themselves because it has no credibility 
if you don't understand how challenging it is when you hit that rock, how is someone else going to trust you? That's just, the, but that's just the start of the conversation. I mean, I've, I've started, I've started finding that, I mean, so it's, it's long been a, a big conviction of ours to say the leader has to be in, we want leader participation, not buy-in. Buy-in means I'll pay for you to go do it. Participation means I need it along with you. So that's, that's, that's been a, a, a prerequisite threshold. If, if we're going to have, if we're going to make progress with a leader. And I'm to even extend that I'm finding more and more, it actually needs to be a strategic imperative for them too. Otherwise they won't, there, there's, there's no reason. So the leader who says, gosh, I really want to invest in my people, my leaders. And I say, why? So asking that why question. And if, if the ultimate answer after a bit more digging and excavation is, I mean, it's just the right thing to do, or, you know, I just care about my people. It's, it's good. It, it's, it's a necessary, but almost insufficient because they're one crisis around the corner from saying, I really want to do it, but I can't right now. If they say, oh boy, I mean, I can't transition my organization. I can't retire if I don't do this, or I, my mission requires that we expand. We cannot do this without more leaders or, you know, I just see the needs of the people we're serving so deeply. And I know that we can't get there without leaders who are going to take, take charge and be courageous. Whatever the thing is, if they, if they, can, if they can't articulate a deep reason for, 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 for the thing that they want to get people to do, then we can't, then there's nothing to stick on. But, you know, Ron, you just said right now, I just made a PowerPoint slide as we we're talking and I, I wrote down, how do I get my people to? And I crossed out get and I put invite. And then on the far right, I put change, innovate, perform, include, create. It, it's shifting it. The question that they're asking is, how do I get my people to change? How do I get my people to learn? How do I get my people to innovate? How do I get my people to perform? How do I get my people to include others? How do I get my people to create something? How do I get my people to work virtually <laughs> or come back to the office and I, and I think we're what we've been screaming from the mountaintop. We've been screaming is no one wants to be gotten to do anything. Like that's what we've been saying since the beginning, right? Daniel's like, yes. they want to be invited. So what we're hearing in this great conversation. What we're yelling in this great conversation. <laughs> what we're shouting from the mountaintop is leaders to even get close to getting, you have to first give. And, and that would be the legacy when you're sitting in your white rocker on that Southern covered porch with a glass of lemonade, thinking about your life. You'd be saying, I invited my team into a wild conversation and that laid pillars in that excavation we did, we then laid pilings that would stand the test of time and circumstance, touching on things like calling and purpose, goals, leading under pressure, motivation and learning, skills and competency, all those functional things built on top of a foundation that that infuses and informs fortitude and meaning in life. 
This has been a great conversation with Dr. McKenna and Dr. Halleck of Wild Leaders. You can go to wildleaders.org. You can visit on Fridays. I try every Friday to get there. Uh, it's 10 a.m. They don't charge anything, but if you don't come away with that, getting the toolkit for your own purpose, if not your team, you're crazy. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for a great conversation. Always, Ron. Always a delight. Always, thank you. Always a delight. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.